Well, we're going to take a few minutes now and uh, and just uh, look at the scriptures. We want to thank God for the nativity this morning. What a great time of celebration we've already had. In so many ways, that's a better picture than than what I need to say next. Uh, because, man, that story was so clear just then. Thank you again to all the parents who have helped rehearse lines throughout the last few weeks and uh, all the, the kids' workers here who have worked so hard to make today happen. Um, we're not going to take long, but just a few minutes here as we look at the scriptures. Uh, the nativity was such a great visual. It highlighted in the story um, one of, if not the, most amazing miracles that God has ever done. You know, you could it's right up there with God creating absolutely everything from nothing. He, Almighty God, took on flesh. He didn't become just like one of us. He became one of us. That is miraculous. The holy, righteous, eternal God of the ages became one of us. Love that. This morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at a familiar passage for this time of year. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. We're going to see that, uh, that the beginning of this story, how Jesus identified with us by growing in the womb of a woman, through physically going through the birthing process, and then walking out the entire life experience that we have here on this earth. What an amazing thing. We're going to notice in this passage, though, that uh, this, this passage is one that's chock full of supernatural, out-of-the-ordinary, hard-to-rationalize truth. There are just some things that happen in this passage that, if we read it, it's hard for us to make sense of. We kind of become accustomed to it because it's traditional for us to read this passage this time of year. We just kind of read it along. But if we stop and think... There is some mind-blowing stuff in this passage. Let's begin in verse 18 and read this together. Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. Uh, the passage will also be on the screen behind me. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angels commanded. Uh, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Many of you know that our family over the last four and a half months or so has been on this, uh, I won't use the word fun, housing journey as we've looked for a new housing and new accommodation in the East End. And last week we moved and began the long mentally taxing process of figuring out 
where is the new place for everything in the new house? And I say mentally taxing because I take no joy in finding the new place. I like for it to already have its place. If it were up to me and I had the ability and the power, I would skip this part and go right to the moment where everything was in its proper place and every box was unpacked, but I do not. So we're in this, this season. And, and as we've unpacked, I've noticed that in my own life and my own thought processes, that I respond to the current state of things and I act based on what I see. I, I will walk into a room and as I think about it, I'll have to, well, I can't unpack that box because I have to unpack these boxes to make room for what's in that box. And I, I respond to what's in front of me. I, I react. All of my, my decisions right now are reactive. And, and while there's a, there's a bit of a plan, a lot of what's happening in my life is not because I've thought it out and I have it step by step laid out. And, and even though the circumstances in this passage are extreme and they're hard to fathom, believe it or not, the, the passage demonstrates that God's decision-making process is completely the opposite of my life right now. God laid everything out. He had a purpose in everything that happened and everything that happens. Instead of looking at the circumstances of what's taking place and, and like someone playing chess or checkers even and responding based on what he sees on the board, God actually has everything laid out ahead of time. Every single detail is known. And that's because God has a purpose. In fact, as you read through the Bible up until this moment, you see that all of history has been leading up until this moment to where that baby was in that cradle, in that manger. In fact, we saw in, in Tuesday night uh, as our, in our prayer time from Ephesians chapter 1 that before anything was, before anything was ever made or created, God planned for things to play out this way and for Christ to come at the exact time in which he did, in the exact way in which he did, in everything, in everything, in both the small, minute details, and in the mountain, Monroe-sized details of your life, God has a purpose. Let's unpack some of these crazy details that we just read here and that we gloss over a little bit as this time of year to see what I mean. I don't know about you, but, but for me, uh, this, this passage is incredibly gripping if I stop and actually think about it. Matthew, the, the gospel writer, writes these things in an absolutely mind-blowing way. For example, over the course of four verses in Scripture, uh, we see details like Mary and Joseph are engaged or betrothed to be married. It's a little different from what we would know as, as an engagement. I had a, an engagement recently here with you guys. Uh, betrothal was typically a year-long process where after the, the pledge to be married was made, the, the couple would live apart even though they've committed to be together for their life. Uh, they lived in separate places in every sense of that phrase. Uh, in verse 18, in an almost passing comment, like part of the sentence, not even a whole sentence, uh, we, we learn, Matthew states that it was discovered that Mary was pregnant. There's no real explanation to that. She was pregnant and not just pregnant. By the way, the next phrase Matthew writes is, uh, is through, through the Holy Spirit you're pregnant. 
And then the angel just kind of moves on from that. Was, that blows my mind. I'm sure it was staggering for Mary to hear that. And then one verse later, uh, we learn that Joseph was a righteous man. Therefore, because his heart's desire was to please God, he did not want in any way to shame Mary or, or to, to heap guilt upon her, even though he surely thought in that moment what any of us would think in this kind of situation. But Joseph's character is revealed even more because of what happens in verse 20. Verse 20 says he considered these things, not that he acted in rage. He didn't have an outburst of emotion. Joseph pondered the situation. He remained level headed. He didn't rush to action. I remember there may have been moments within that, but that's what the passage says there. God has a purpose in all that he does. Why do you think this passage mentions this about Joseph? That's an interesting thing. Matthew's so like brief with everything else, yet he takes the time to describe Joseph's mental state here, that he considered all of these things. Why does it mention that he spent time thinking over it all? Because, can I submit, that it was in this season of him trying to rationally figure out what to do that God sends an angel to deliver news that was going to be life-changing. Could it be that God waited for Joseph to be in this season of wrestling with what to do, that in this exact moment, in all this pondering and considering, that Joseph would only then be able to hear the news from the angel that, yeah, Mary is going to be pregnant, and it's not just going to be a regular child. All children are special, but this one's going to be special. This was life upending news. God has a purpose in all that he does. There was a purpose in these two young people being the parents of Jesus. Both came through the lineage of King David, which, by the way, fulfilled prophecy from centuries before. Both branches of the tree kind of going out. Uh, God had a purpose in the name being Jesus or Yeshua in the Hebrew. And that translates to the English of Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation or our God saves and coincidentally enough, we'll use that word coincidentally, that was the exact message that the angel spoke to Mary and Joseph. Verse 21 says, you are to name him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. There's purpose in everything that God does. Even later on in the stories, we think about what we saw right here in, in the nativity. Jesus isn't born in a palace. He's, he's not even born in a house. He's born in a cattle stall. The smell of manure in the air. Not sterile conditions like we would prefer there to be in any hospital setting when we give birth to children. Or as the dads kind of cheer the, the wives along when they give birth to the child. No, uh, he enters our broken world in the most humble means possible. And that's because there's purpose in it all. God's purposes aren't like ours. The, the focal point of the purpose is different. Our purposes, they center around things like safety or, or comfort or having enough of what we think we need in life. What we classify as enough stuff. If there's anything that moving will tell you, it's how much stuff you have. I've learned that very well the last few weeks. But God's purposes focus on something else entirely. God's purposes revolve around his glory. 
Here's the thing we so easily lose sight of in, in the course of pursuing our purposes. The most worthwhile thing that anyone could ever run after would be to orient their life around the most valuable thing or person that there is. Right? Why would we center our, our life around anything else but what's most, most worthwhile, what's most, most valuable? Our er- in our arrogance, we so often think that we are the most worthwhile. We are the most valuable thing on the face of the earth. But true happiness comes not from pursuing something we know isn't worthwhile, but what's precious, what's valuable. In the whole universe, in all that there is, the most worthwhile person is God. He is unique. He's perfect. He's more loving, righteous, merciful, gracious than anything we could ever imagine. He is unique. And if God knows this about himself, because he knows all things, and if he knows this about himself, then it only makes sense that he would pursue his own glory, that the making much of himself. See, if it were you or me trying to make much of our own selves, that would be selfish. You'll be arrogant, be prideful. But God, the one who's the most valuable person, the most valuable being in the whole universe, it's only right for him to pursue this self-magnification. So that's why the whole Bible talks about God being about this task of making much of his glory. It's right and good. It's a good central purpose behind all that he does. And what's mind-blowing about all of this is that the most glorious thing he could do is to show his fallen, continually rebellious creation, grace and mercy and love. Even though we continually rebel, we continually go our way instead of God's way. But God, he pours out, he lavishes his love upon us and it brings him great glory to the purpose and plan of all these things, to send Jesus to live as one of us. But the thing we may or may not realize about all of this is that every single one of us, every single one of his purposes costs something. His purposes, they cost something. God's purposed outcomes always require cost. If you're following along in our Advent, our daily Advent readings, uh, which Mark and I have been sending out each day, you've seen in multiple days this very week the idea of this kind of highlighted. You see it in the way God made for us to be forgiven, to be able to have a relationship with Him. It took Jesus coming to the earth and ultimately living a life that led to suffering on a cross for God to make His purpose possible. You see it in the command to the church afterwards to to go and spread the good news of the gospel, to take this message to the ends of the earth, but it was going to come at the cost of persecution and marginalization and suffering and, and, and circumstances that were not ideal. You see it here in this passage as we look at Jesus coming and taking on flesh and what's called his incarnation. Consider what it cost Mary and Joseph this morning. And talking about Joseph, Joseph, we've only kind of hinted at Mary a little bit, but it cost her her reputation. I mean, this would follow her the rest of her life. The same for Joseph. Staying with Mary communicated one of two things. One, that either he was the father of an illegitimate pregnancy, or two, he didn't have the intestinal fortitude to, to do what tradition called him, called him to do and to cast her aside. Being the parents to the Messiah would mean that their lives would be 
on center stage in a way that no other family could know in the life of all of Judaism. Consider those in Bethlehem while this precious baby was being born. We saw in the nativity that the wise men went to a very nice Herod, uh, but in real life, real life Herod wasn't so nice. Real life Herod, in paranoia and in fear, orders the death of every young boy two years and under in Bethlehem following this. The whole area around Bethlehem would know tragedy and loss and suffering. There was high cost to Jesus coming into our broken world. What about your life today? What about my life? What, what do those costs look like in your life? What does obedience look like? We don't always see the purpose of God and understand the purpose of God clearly. We don't always know what He's doing, what He's saying, but it's always about something far more, diff, uh, far more significant than the scope of our vision, than the scope of what we can see, and even what we can conceive of. Because of this child born in that stable so long ago, there is hope. Do you know that? There is peace. Do you have true peace? There is purpose. There's a way to find forgiveness and belonging with God. Do you want that today? There is a Savior have you followed him? God desires to identify with you right where you are, just like he identified with, the, with those around him right in that moment on that night. He knows us and he loves us and he has identified with us. Starting from the moment of the announcement of the birth from that angel, uh, Jesus lived in a way that intimately acquainted him with the struggles of this life. He knows what it feels like to go hungry, to live in poverty, to have the loss in his life that so many of us feel. He, he lost his dad, his father, his earthly father. He knows, he knew what that was like and knows what that's like. He lost the, the respect of, of so many, even those following him, because he said hard things. His own friends betrayed him. One, tragically betraying him to, to those who wanted to kill him. Jesus knows what it's like. He knows what it's like for us to live life. He knows what's, what it's like to have siblings turn against him and think he's absolutely mental. Through living the human experience, Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned and to be left behind. Even in that, though, there was purpose. Because Jesus walked through all those things and so much more, we have passages in the Bible like what we see in, in Hebrews chapter 4. Where the writer of the Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. What are your circumstances today? And this, is this a difficult season for you? Do you find yourself just kind of limping to the end of 2023, just kind of hoping for 2024 to be better? Is your life marked by turmoil or loss? We have a Savior, and there is a Savior who knows about all these things. Not only does He know about these things, but He offers hope and help, comfort, peace, 
joy and sustaining strength in the midst of it. Even more, he offers relationship with Almighty God. Part of this seemingly unbelievable miracle of God taking on flesh is that now because of his life, because of his death and his resurrection, we can actually have relationship with God. We can know him. We can talk to him. We can be led by him. Have you experienced this in your own life? If not, what's stopping you from, from doing that today, from, from putting faith today? In a moment, we're going to respond through singing. And if you'd like to know more about following Jesus, we would love to talk with you. Mark and I, either one, many of us here, we'd love to talk with you. Or you can talk to, to Mark and I about prayer. If you need, there's something going on in your life you want prayer for this morning, whether it's an illness or a family situation or just a, a life circumstance, we would we count it a privilege to pray with you. Follower of Jesus, what about you today? As you consider the purposes of your life, you consider the circumstances in which you find yourself right now are the things that you're pursuing in alignment with the things that God counts as most important. Are you responding to the season of life by looking to Christ and drawing near to Him? I'm not just talking about seasons and difficulty. Some of us are on the mountaintop experience spiritually right now. What about even in those moments? Don't forget the one who led you there to that mountaintop. As we respond, we're also going to come to the table this morning. And this is a time for those who would say they have professed faith in Jesus and would call Jesus their Lord and their King. And if that's not you this morning, we just humbly ask that you just observe this part of our service. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Many years after what we saw here, this story, he was sitting around the table with his closest friends. And he, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And at the end of the meal, he took the cup and he raised it. And he said, this is the new covenant and my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And we know that as often as we partake of this bread and this cup, we proclaim Christ until he comes again. God is the God of purpose. He has a purpose for your life. And as you come to the table, Christian, this morning, because of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, his promise to you and to me is not that we just get to watch him work, but we actually get to see him work through us to carry out his purposes in this world. So worship him this morning as you partake in the bread and the cup. Or as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 9 and 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Rejoice in this today. As we respond, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing story. How you, almighty God, you came to this earth. You became one of us. You took on flesh. You walked step after step throughout life. A perfect life. Never sinning. Never rebelling. You died in a death for us. Taking on the wrath of God that we so deserve. And now you have been risen and you reign in victory. Help us today to, wherever we are, to, to engage with you, whether that's putting faith in you for the first time or whether that's confessing sin that we need to confess or whether that's just affirming all these things and worshiping you and standing in awe of you. Help us today to respond in the way we need to. In Jesus' name, amen.